begin a brand new series on the last days. We'll be going through this topic through the summer, all the way through the month of August. And uh, we have some guest speakers coming in this summer, and uh, we'll be telling you about those a little bit later. Mitchell Grantham is going to be helping me with this series, so he'll be uh, doing some teaching uh, also this summer, and we know you're going to um, enjoy uh, the teaching. I'll be coming more from a pastoral perspective. Uh, Mitchell will be coming uh, more from a teaching perspective. Bring your pen and paper every time you come because we're going to be giving you a lot of scripture references that you're going to want to look at after you get home. All righty? According to the language of the New Testament, uh, the last day has not yet happened. The last day, uh, the ultimate day of judgment, the ultimate day of wrath, has not yet arrived. Now I'm going to read to you uh, two kind of lengthy passages of Scripture today from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. And I'm not going to put it up on the screen because it would take a lot of slides to do it. So um, if you will just jot down these references and read them when you get home. If you have your Bible with you or there's a Bible near and you want to follow along, um, then that'll be fine as well. I'm reading from the New Living Translation and uh, uh, just for clarity and, and uh, listen carefully to these words. This is Paul. Uh, Thessalonians um, is a letter. This is a letter, First and Second Thessalonians letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Thus the name... Uh, Thessalonians for the book of the Bible, chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God first... All the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still uh, alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. Now that word caught up, we use the word rapture. Rapture. Do you know the word rapture isn't in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. But there's another word that, <coughs> excuse me, excuse me. There's another word that isn't in the Bible that we use all the time and believe, and that's the word Trinity. Trinity is in the Bible. How many Trinitarians I got sitting out there today? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love the way y'all weren't really sure about that till I, you're like, I don't know. Okay. We believe in uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God subsisting, presenting himself, revealing himself to us in three persons. The Bible says we're made in the image of God. The way we're made in the image of God, there are many ways we're made in the image of God, but primarily the way we look like God is that we too are Trinitarians. We are body and we are uh, soul or mind, will and emotions, and we are spirit, the seed of God. The, your spirit part of you is the seed of God. When you accept Christ into your heart, we say we accept Christ in our heart, that's fine, but what that really is is we're accepting him into our spirit. We have a... The way I like to talk about it is we have a throne inside of us, and you can put whoever you want on that throne, but that throne is rightfully God's. 
And so when you open your life and you put God on that throne, then your life starts lining up and stuff starts having clarity because that's what was intended is that God, through his son Jesus, God the Father through his son Jesus, who is God, uh, would sit on the throne of your heart. So we're Trinitarians. Now, uh, so the word rapture isn't in the Bible, but that doesn't mean that the rapture doesn't happen because the word rapture means caught up. It means caught up. It's like when I met Millie, she, she was just raptured. <laughs> I'm just saying. <clears throat> no, she's not here, absolutely. <laughs> Don't y'all tell her what I said either. Um, she'll go, yeah, right. Then, listen to this. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be raptured, caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Notice that Jesus doesn't come back to the earth at the rapture. The rapture and the second coming of Christ are two separate events. The first event is the rapture where he comes in the clouds and we're caught up to be with him. Um, you know, a lot of you may have different ideas. You know, it, it, there's probably more opinions in the body of Christ about the end times in the book of Revelation than any other teaching we can do, okay? So some of you may disagree with some of the things I say, but as I always tell you, if you'll come up to me after the service, I'll forgive you, okay? So, so uh, some, somebody asked me, Pastor, you know, are you, a, are you pre-trib or are you mid-trib or post-trib? Or, or just where are you? I said, I'm, I'm a pantheist. I just believe it'll all pan out in the end. Amen? <laughs> That's deep, isn't it? And uh, so, so we believe the, the position of this church is that the next major event on God's calendar is the rapture. That we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air and uh, remain with him forever. I like that part. Um. By the way, if I pass away, please do not pray for a resurrection. Please. Please. That would be so wrong of you if I'm in heaven to pray me back, don't you? When I get with him, I want to stay. You just come where I am. Amen, amen. Y'all with me on that one? He says, um, he says in verse 18 that we need to teach this and, and talk about this among ourselves as believers because When we do, he says it is a comfort to each other and an encouraging word to each other. 18 says, so comfort and encourage each other with these words. So that's what I hope to do. Here's what I hope to do in this series. Here's what Mitchell and I hope to do. And uh, we, We hope that two things will happen. We hope that what we teach and preach in this series will comfort the believers and cause consternation in the unbelievers. That it will stir up conviction. That we will remind those of you who have not yet accepted Christ to do so soon, to do so quickly. So we want to comfort and encourage believers. We want to challenge unbelievers. First Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11, we just go right into the very next chapter. Paul says, I really don't need to write to you about how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, which tells us he's talking to Christians there. For you know, as Christians, quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. 
Um, when people start setting dates and telling you when God's coming, that ought to set off alarm bells in your head. Because right there it says that he's going to come when we don't know. He's going to come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Verse 3, when people are saying all is well and everything is peaceful and secure. He says, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is about to be born and there's no escape. You ladies remember? I was telling uh, a young lady in, in church this morning and uh, she looks like she could shout any minute. Uh, she's about to have a little one. I told her how much we love the, love the ladies who are about to bring forth children. I said, y'all keep having them, I'll keep counting them. But one of these days, she's going to go, ah! <laughs> and her husband's going to go, is it time? You know, <laughs> and uh, we all remember that. And, and that's what it's talking about here, how a woman's uh, labor pains begin to come and, and as a warning that, that, or as a, an alarm to let you know the baby's about to come. And he talks about the end times like that. We see things happening that lets us know the, the, that the Lord is about to come. And he says there is no escape, no escape. You say, well, I know people who don't believe in that. Well, you know, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but there's no escape. Your, your, your belief system doesn't determine what God's going to do. God's going to do what God's going to do. He lets you believe whatever you want to. He puts the truth out there. You can do with it whatever you want to, but, but he's coming. He's coming. Verse 4. But you aren't in the dark, he says to these Christians. You're not in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you're all children of the light and of the day. And I love what he says next. He says, we don't belong to the darkness and the night. Amen, amen. He said, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert. That's why we're doing this series. Stay alert and be sober. He said, night, those who are in the dark... That's the time for sleep and the time when people get drunk. He's telling us to sober up in these last days. But let us live in the light. Um, but let us who live in the light think clearly, not, not intoxicated with the things of the world, but let us think clearly, protected by the body armor of faith and love and wearing our helmet, uh, the confidence, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God decided to save us. Anybody glad about that? God decided to save us? That's good news, isn't it? For God decided to save us, and he, and he provided many ways you could be saved. Is that right? No. For God decided to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. I like, uh, I like uh, Brooks up here crying, man. I love that. I love it when he got to that part in the song. He just couldn't sing it. I love tears. We, we got a guy whose main job in this church is to get tissue boxes all over the building. Amen? We want to laugh at Whitley, but we also want to cry. Amen, amen? Because when you start talking about your passion, you'll get emotional, won't you? And that's what he was singing about today. My passion is Christ. And the Bible says, for God decided to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ and not to pour his anger out on us. And I believe that means that we don't go through the tribulation. Now, some of you may say we will go through the tribulation or we'll go through part of the tribulation. 
But I just want to tell you, that's fine if you believe that. You don't have to believe the way I do to go to heaven. But I will tell you, when the rapture happens, before the tribulation, and we're going up, I'm going to look at you and go, na 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 na. I just want to tell you right now. <laughs> Verse 10. He died for us so that we can live with him forever whether we are dead or alive, at the, same, at the time of his return. So it doesn't matter if you die before Jesus comes or you're alive when he comes in the rapture, you're, you're going to heaven. We're going to all return to be with him. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you uh, are already doing. Now, the last days in the Bible are, um, you know, when we think about the last days, we think about what we're seeing right now. And we look at the news, and those are some of the things Mitchell's going to deal with, and he's going to show you some of the stuff that's going on in the world right now that just shows us that we are, what I like to say, in the last of the last of the last days. I mean, we're at the end. But the last days actually have been referred to all through uh, the New Testament as being the time between the resurrection of Jesus and the rapture of the church. Um, I'm going to give you some scripture references, but I'm not going to read them because we don't have time. But jot these down if you're taking notes. Um, in 1 John 2.18, John talks about his day being the last hour, even in his day. Okay, 1 John 2.18. And then 1 Peter 1.20, um, Peter says, in these last times. So Peter says his day was the last days. John says his day was the last days. And then the author of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, he says, uh, let me just read this passage. Guys, put that one up there. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So he's talking about the Old Testament in verse 1. That's how God spoke to people through the prophets. He said, has in these last days, see, see, this is Paul writing here. I know it doesn't say who wrote the book of Hebrews, but when you look at the style of Hebrews compared to the style of Paul's writings, it looks like it's Paul. So I'm going to just say that. And if it's not, when we get to heaven, he'll straighten us out. But I think it's Paul saying here, in these last days. Paul saying, in the day I'm living. Paul, in these last days, spoken to us by his son, whom has appointed heir of all things, um, through him also uh, made the world. And so, so um, John and Peter and Paul... Um, sound like the Beatles, don't they? Um, they um, or the monkeys. But they are um, all saying that their day was the last day. So technically, scripturally, the last days have been from the resurrection of Jesus all the way to the rapture. Y'all with me? Okay, so just, just so you know that. Now, I, how many of y'all um, remember in school cliff notes? Cliff notes, you remember those? How many of you thank God for the cliff notes? <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, and teacher would go, did you read the book? And you'd go, this little yellow one. Um, Genesis 5, 5 through 20. I'm going to give you the cliff notes of Genesis 5, 5 through 20. We're going to do lineage here. We're going to give some lineage. Lineage is very important in the Bible. It's boring to read, but it's very important. It's essential. So let me give you Genesis 5, 5 through 10. Now, we're going to go back to the Old Testament, all the way to the book of Genesis, and talk about the end times, okay? Adam lived three, 930 years, and he died, the Bible says. Adam, you remember Adam, 
Eve's husband. Adam lived 930 years and he died. Seth, who was one of Adam's sons, he lived 912 years and he died. Enosh, the son of Seth, lived 815 years and he died. Canaan, son of Enosh, lived 840 years and he died. Mahalalel, son of Canaan, uh, lived 835 years and he died. And Jared, <laughs> I thought that was funny, uh, son of Mahalalel and Mitchell, uh, <coughs> lived 962 years and he died. So there's this lineage and it goes, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And it sounds, <laughs> excuse me, it sounds like you're reading an obituary column, and then all of a sudden, there is a name that pops up out of this scripture, out of this chapter 5 of Genesis, and it stands out like a rose in the desert of death. And it says in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, when Enoch was 65 years old, his son Methuselah was born. Y'all remember hearing about Methuselah? When you see an old guy like me, you say, oh, our pastor's old as... Exactly, because he lived to be the oldest, I think like 969 years. Anybody know exactly? Okay, thank you. Um, so so Enoch, it says, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived another 300 years in close fellowship with God. Now, I love this right here, because I'm getting old, and I love that it. it says, after he turned 300, he had other sons and daughters. Yeah, yeah, he's the man. And the men of God out there said, amen, amen. He's bad to the bone, son, let me tell you. Sorry, I got excited about that right there. So the Bible says in verse 23, Genesis 5, that Enoch lived 365 years in all. I love this, I love this. He enjoyed a close relationship with God throughout his life. I like that. Then suddenly... He disappeared because God took him. Doesn't say died. Just says suddenly disappeared because God took him. Now that's strange. But then you go all the way from Genesis all the way to the back of your Bible. Hang a hard right. And in Hebrews eleven five it says, By faith Enoch, and Hebrews 11 is that hall of fame of faith chapter. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. In other words, he was caught up or he was raptured, exactly. And was not found because God had taken him away. So they must have looked for him. Where is Enoch? But it says they could not find him because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So in this first sermon, we're going to investigate Enoch. And we're going to investigate his life. God reached down and plucked him like a flower off the face of the earth. Physically, bodily, took him to heaven without dying. Enoch got out alive. Now let me tell you something to kind of freak all of you out just a little bit. I think some of you will be alive. I think some of you sitting right here today will not know death. I think you, you, um, you'll be plucked out in the rapture. I hope I'm one of them. I got news for you, though. I'll go any way he wants me to go just so I end up with him. Amen, amen. 
The Bible calls this a rapture, being called up, and that's what I want to talk about in this first message. There are three things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Enoch's times, we're going to talk about Enoch's testimony, and we're going to talk about Enoch's translation or his rapture. I want to close today with this thought, this final thought. I want to talk about Enoch and his times just a little bit. The reason that I think it's important that we look at Enoch's times is because here's what I think God's doing in Genesis 5. I think God is saying in Genesis 5, I want you to look what it was like in Enoch's day because the reason I raptured him was to show you what it's going to be like in the day I rapture you. So we go all the way back to the book of Genesis to find out what it's going to be like in our day when the rapture happens. Okay? Uh, you're going to find a correlation and a, condes- and a correspondence between Enoch and his times and us and our times. Now, again, Enoch was a contemporary of Adam and... Uh, uh, Enoch um, uh, was, was raptured, so we want to look at that. Now, what was it about Enoch's day or Enoch's times that we need to notice? Let's look in Genesis 4.19 um, at a man in the Bible named Lamech. Lamech, and probably in the Hebrew it's Lamech. Okay? So just to be authentic. <clears throat> I don't know that. I just, I love the way the Jewish people pronounce their words. Uh, you know, you can clear your throat and talk at the same time. I mean, what could be better for me? <laughs> so it, it's significant to note that there were many people who were alive in that day that God could have talked about. God didn't have to talk about Lamech. So why did God pick a guy, because he doesn't talk about him anymore. He just talks about him right here. Why did God, God pick a guy named Lamech to talk about in the book of Genesis. Here's why. Because I believe Lamech, I believe his lifestyle showed the kind of lifestyle that will be going on in our day when the rapture comes. I want you to notice what it says in Genesis 4.19. It says, and Lamech took him two wives. Two wives. Now, God had already set it forth in the Garden of Eden, one man for Now, used to, I'd have got a bigger response on that, but we all hear so much liberal talk and liberal press and liberal teaching and liberal preaching. One man for one. Thank you. But he decided, I don't care what God said. I don't care what restraint God put on marriage. I want two wives. And we see the beginning of a sexual revolution all the way back in Genesis 5. We see a man who wanted to satisfy his lusts, and he did not care what God thought. Does that sound anything like our day? Here was a man who did not care God's plan had been given or what God said, or what God had established in the Garden of Eden, or what God had set forth, but he took unto himself two wives. Look at the next thing about Lamech in Genesis 4.23. One day, Lamech said to Ada and Zillah, those were his two wives, he had women from A to Z. 
I'm not sure if his second wife looked like Godzilla, but I'm just saying. One day Lamech said to Ada and Zilla, listen to this now. Listen to me, my wives. I've killed a youth who attacked me and wounded me. I don't know what you see there, but I see pride. I see arrogance. I see a man boasting to his wives that he killed a youth. So in Lamech's day, I see lusts. I see perversion. I see promiscuity. I see murder. I see violence. I see an attitude and a behavior that illustrates the times Enoch lived in. And when God saw that going on, he raptured Enoch as a lesson to us. When you see these things going on, the rapture is near. The rapture is near. Enoch's day was a day of social permissiveness. Social permissiveness. The restraints, even in that day, were being removed. Even in that day, were being lifted. And the people were beginning to do what the Bible refers to, I believe, in the book of Judges, but also in other places where it says they did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And God says to the people of Whitley Church today, through your pastor and through your teachers, Look around you and know that we are living in the days of Lamech. And we are living in the days of social permissiveness. And God is saying to us, the reason I plucked Enoch out and raptured him is to show you what it's going to look like in your day when I rapture my children. Hear the word of the Lord today. Immorality was rampant. Fornication and adultery was blatant. There was polygamy and pride and murder and violence. And we see it all around us. We live in a day when to see things that is pumped into our home through computer and television every day, to see those things 50 years ago, you would have gone down some nasty, filthy back alley to see it. Now it's being pumped right into your house and right into your home. And the more you look at it and the more you watch it and the more you laugh at it and the more it entertains you, the more desensitized you become and the further away you move from God. God doesn't move away from you, but you move away from Him. Ladies and gentlemen, let us listen to Paul today and be not drunk in these last days, but be sober and think clearly. Jesus is coming. Would you bow your head? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for Christ? Are you ready for the shout? Are you ready for the trumpet? <clears throat> you may say, this all sounds like a big fairy tale to me. This all sounds 
ridiculous to me. I, I know it does. Jesus said you would say that. Like when Noah was building the ark, the people laughed and mocked because they had never seen rain before. They said, it's never rained. So they laughed and mocked as he built that ark. The way the world laughs and mocks at us when we preach sermons the way I preach this morning. It doesn't matter that they laugh and mock. We know what truth is just like Noah knew what truth was. But you need to remember that the same ones who mocked Noah and laughed at Noah when God shut the door of that boat as the water was rising, those same people beat on the door and said, Noah, let us in. Here's the point I'm making today. The door of the ark is open this morning. The door of the ark is open. And I bid you get on board. Get on board. Just ask Jesus. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. I've been, I've been saying things about the church and saying things about the Bible and saying things about Christians and churches and I realize, Lord, that I've only been putting up excuses. I need you. When you come, I want to be ready. So today, I ask you into my heart. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive my sins and come into my heart. I want to be ready when you come back. He's coming do not let this world intoxicate you with its pleasures and with its bright lights. Do not let this world intoxicate you and lure you away from the only hope you have, and that is Jesus Christ. Don't let it happen. Say this, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've been thinking about getting serious with God today, would be a good day. Lord Jesus, we need you so desperately. God, I pray you will not let one person leave this building today until they know they are right in their heart with you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Now, if you want me to pray with you, I'm going to hang around up here at the front. Listen carefully. I'm going to hang around up here at the front. I'll pray with you. I can't get into long counseling sessions. I want to tell you something, guys. I love you, but that's been happening a lot. People coming up wanting to get into long counseling sessions up here after church. I can't do that. But I will talk to you about Christ, and I'll talk to you about my message, and I'll talk to you about the Lord, okay? If you have questions, I'll hang around up here. If you want to get with me or get with someone for counseling, we'll set that up for you, but I can't do that on Sunday morning. You know I love you when I say that. You know I love you, okay? Um, but if you want to talk about Jesus today and you've got some questions about what I said, 
I will hang around. Those of you who are new and it's your first time, please pick up your gift before you leave. The rest of you, don't forget to sign up and all of the things we've got going on. Make sure you're involved. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for coming to church today. God bless you.